0: And um, we're going to continue our, our series here on Elijah. Elijah, he's an ordinary man who serves an extraordinary God. And we're going to see once again that Elijah is just as human. The Bible says he was just as human as we are. That he went through the same uh, struggles that you and I go through. And we're going to see that, that Elijah even went through discouragement. We're going to look at this topic a little bit of discouragement as we study the life of Elijah I would propose to you that not only did you get discouraged, we may not even want to admit this, but Elijah got to a point where it's potentially where's even depressed. This is a topic that is oftentimes neglected, not talked about in church. And it's very sad. because I guarantee if we were honest, if I were to say to you, today, we won't raise hands. But if I were to say, how many of you have ever been discouraged? How many of you have ever felt like just giving up? You'd be shocked. One, you'd be shocked at how many people raise your hand. And then you'd be shocked at how many of the other ones were lying, you know, (laughs) who won't raise their hand. It seems like this is a topic that does not really get covered very often. In fact, when we study Elijah, we've been studying for many weeks now. Elijah was a man of courage. Elijah was a man of, uh, of prayer. He was a man who God used to demonstrate and to, to do miracles. And we kind of put Elijah, as we studied last week, up on this pedestal. We kind of have him out as a superhuman, if you will, or super Christian. But then the New Testament says that James... James says that, that Elijah, he says, hey, he was just as human as us. He went through the same thoughts and feelings and emotions that you and I struggle with. But yet, even though the Bible says it, we don't really necessarily believe it. We know it, but we don't really know it. In fact, as we studied last week, we made a few statements. As we see that Elijah, we'll see here in a moment... That he's running and he's hiding. That the very best of men are men at best. And let's look at 1 Kings 19. I want to read just a little bit farther. We're going to look at the first eight verses. And it says this it says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Pause for a moment. What did Elijah do? He called, he called fire down from heaven. And consumed the the, the sacrifice. And beyond that, then he went out and he prayed. After he killed all the, the false prophets, 850 false prophets. That's what really got Jezebel angry. He then prayed for rain and God sends the rain. And then it says this, that Ahab goes and tattles to his wife Jezebel. We really know who ruled the kingdom here. You know what I'm saying? Reminds me of some previous presidents we had, you know. We really knew who was running the White House. Anyway, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Interesting, it wasn't Ahab who sends the messenger, it's Jezebel. Jezebel sends a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I, if I make not... Thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he rose and he went for his life... ...and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And notice this, we'll come back to this in a moment... ...he leaves his servant there. But he himself, let's see what Elijah does... ...he went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and he sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die... Think about these words. He says, I want to die. He requests that he might die. And he said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and he slept under the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink And he laid himself down again. Now he falls back asleep. And then it says this. That the angel of the Lord came again a second time. And he touched him. And he said arise and eat. Because the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he did eat. And he drank. And he went in the strength of that meat. For 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb the mount of God. We'll look at that mount of God next week. That is Mount Sinai. He goes to the same place where Moses went and prayed and had an encounter with God to a cave, most likely the same cave that Moses received the oracles of God. But we look at Elijah, this man who who God used in a miraculous way, a man that is considered one of the three greatest of all prophets. And when we think of Elijah, we think of him praying. We think of him courageous. We think of him calling fire down from heaven, but rarely do we think of Elijah as a man sitting underneath a juniper tree saying, and calling out to God and saying, I just want my life to be over. Take my life. We may not want to say it this way, but can I say this? He, wa- he knew that God was in control and he wasn't going to take his own life, but he wanted his life to be over. I don't know about you, but this is pretty, this is pretty serious stuff. What's interesting is this. Think about this. Up to this point, every prayer that Elijah asked God to do and every request he asked of God, let me ask you something. Didn't God do it? Yeah. This is the only prayer that I know of that Elijah prayed that God didn't answer. I'm, aren't you thankful? Amen. He prayed for. God to stop the heavens, God stop the heavens. He prayed for a child to be brought back from the dead. God brought him back from the dead. He prayed, he prayed uh, for God to send fire from heaven, God sent fire from heaven. He prayed for God to send the rain, God sent rain. Now he's sitting underneath this juniper tree in a, in a state of discouragement and, if you will, depression. And he calls out to God and he says, take my life. But God doesn't answer that prayer. You know why? Because it wasn't God's will. Amen when we pray, it must always be in accordance to God's will. I believe that Elijah fell into what we might call a temporary state of at least discouragement. And I believe that discouragement will lead, can and will oftentimes lead, if unchecked, to depression. Now, I'm not a physician... I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. But I do believe that we can learn some things from this passage of Scripture that can truly help us. I will say this, that it's interesting that it's after Elijah has one of his greatest moments. He has this great moment. He's on cloud nine and and God moved and God worked and all these great things happened. and all of a sudden immediately after he didn't maybe have all the results that he thought he would have and he gets a death sentence upon his life and we see him running and we see him hiding. I think there's some sources of discouragement for us as believers. I'll just mention a few of them. Again, I am not a physician. I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist. My wife says I'm a psycho once in a while. She says that. (laughs) Some of you really like that, right? Those who really know my wife are like, yep, she would say that. But there are some sources. And we're not going to go into all of these. But for some, there's different ideas out there. That of chemical imbalance. You know, genetic... Hereditary, where there are those who do suffer with discouragement, and depression, anxiety. You know, we, some refer to it as uh, mental illness. And you say, well, I don't understand all that. I don't either, but I can say this. I want to make sure that as a church and as a pastor, we're very balanced. I have a child who has autism. It means simply that he's wired differently. He thinks differently, acts differently. It's pretty sad, though, because I've actually seen sermons... I've actually watched a sermon one time where a pastor literally said that it's demonic and that, that we, we call it autism and that it's not autism, that it's demonic and that they're possessed. Can I tell you something? That is a heretic and that is disgusting and it is not from God. We have this idea that I believe there has to be balance. Balance. Because may I remind you of something, we live in a fallen world. We deal with cancer, we deal with, with heart disease, and we deal with diabetes, and all of this is part of a fallen world. And, and to say that to someone, well, you're a diabetic, and the reason why is because of some, some if you will, uh, because of some demonic activity in your life, that is, here's a good old-fashioned, you ready for an old-fashioned Hebrew word? That's hogwash, Okay. But yet there will be pastors and preachers and people who will get up and preach and speak... ...and they say if you have any type of mental illness that it's demonic... ...can I tell you, that is not a balanced approach to the Scriptures, to the Word of God. Because even in Scripture we find that the Apostle Paul... ...he himself had ailments, he himself had issues... ...he, had a, a, he, he says that he prayed for God to heal him three different times... ...and God said, I won't heal you, my grace is sufficient for you. So even the Apostle Paul who was able to heal others... He himself had physical ailments, and it's all a part of the fall. We live in a sinful culture, a sinful world, and we will always battle with the result of sin. And that is this, because of sin, it brings death and destruction and decay. Are you with me this morning? And so we, there's these things that we will struggle with. There will be a day when we have our glorified body and we will be set free from things like diabetes and cancer and heart disease and autism and many other things and mental illness, amen? We'll be whole. But some are just simply the fact that it is something that's genetic or hereditary. There are some that I believe, not all, And understand that none of these are all-inclusive, but some are those who are living in rebellion towards God. And when you live in rebellion towards God, you are not going to have the peace of God. And many people in this world are struggling because there is a void that only God can fill. And then, for many of us as believers, not all, not all-inclusive, some... ...are self-inflicted and they're unnecessary. And let's just look at the example here of Elijah. I believe there are three physical sources of Elijah's, if you will, self-inflicted discouragement. And we're going to see the Lord's remedy for him. When we see this passage, what we we might miss is just the, the, the natural physical realm of some physical things that would cause Elijah to become discouraged and then lead to a place of depression. But let me first pause for a moment and say this, that I do believe that there was spiritual warfare taking place. Would you agree with that? That Elijah has been praying and and calling fire down from heaven and he confronted himself alone, 850 prophets, and he confronts them. It's good versus evil, and there's spiritual warfare. And beyond all of that, may I remind you of something? He's calling out to the people of God, confronting the people of God. And he says, hey, you have to choose. Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Baal, or are you going to serve God? And so he's in this spiritual conflict. And spiritual warfare is exhausting. We often forget that there is Satan that is involved... and I want to remind you of something... and that is this... that if if we had a tool chest up here... and if I were to say Satan's tool chest... and we were to open it right near the top of Satan's tool chest... let me tell you, way up at the top... you want to know what he's going to have up there? A tool called discouragement. Because if he can get you discouraged... and get you to where you have no joy... and no peace and you're discouraged... And if unchecked, discouragement, listen to me carefully, a state of discouragement can very quickly pull you into a state of depression. And the reason why it's so quiet is because every single one of us has been there. Oh, not you, Pastor Joe. Oh, yeah. Do we think we're better than Elijah? Circumstances, life, things being thrown at us can put us in a place of discouragement. And if not taken care of, can lead to even worse depression. Elijah runs from Jezebel. He goes out into a wilderness area. And he tells his servant, stay here. He then goes farther, another day's journey out into the wilderness, and he sits underneath a juniper tree. Kind of probably looked like Cedar City. By the way, Cedar City, it's Juniper City, just so you know. (laughs) Cedar City sounds a lot better. Those are not cedars, guys. They're junipers, right? (laughs) Am I right? All right, just so you know. So you know what kind of tree he went under? Just with all that scrub brush you see out there, he went out and he just found himself a place and he just laid there and then he just cries out to God and he says, I just wish it was over. I'm not any better than my father's. Think about this. I'm worthless. Listen to listen to what he's saying. He says, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm nothing. In essence, I'm a failure. I just want to check out. I'm done. He just lays there. He goes so far to say, God, take my life. Take my life. I'm done. I'm checked out. You say, that was Elijah? The prophet? Yup. So you are like, well, that sounds like me. And I'm not saying that in jest. I'm saying that in all reality, that it some point in our lives, we either have gone through this. Am I correct? We either have gone through this. We either are going through this or we will go through this. Somebody somebody bear witness there and say amen. Because it will happen. Where you will feel so broken. He says in this passage later, he says, I'm alone. I'm all alone. And so I want to just point out that there was spiritual warfare and spiritual warfare is grueling and Satan's behind it and Satan uses discouragement but let me give you just a few quick, real quick helpful things what I love about this is that Elijah's there, he says his prayer and God doesn't answer his prayer but he sends an angel now this is what a typical response would be from like most pastors most church people. What's going on with Elijah? Where's Elijah? Oh, he's depressed. He's sitting underneath the tree and he just had, he just wants to die. Wish God would just take his life. He's almost suicidal. He's just he's over there a mess. So the pastor comes to show up. What's wrong with you? Start praying. Read your Bible. Here, read your Bible. What's wrong with you? Go to a revival. Go to a conference. Come on now. You need to get right with God, Elijah. Was that God's response? He sends an angel to minister to him. In fact, the response is quite like, whoa. Elijah lays underneath that tree, sleeps. Angel comes, wakes him up. Here. Here. Here's some food, eat, he eats, Elijah goes back to sleep, what, by the way, we don't know how long Elijah slept, could have been for hours, could have been days, we don't know, he wakes him back up again, the second time he says, here, here, eat, eat some food, because the journey ahead, by the way, God's not done with you, amen, the journey ahead is great, We'll look a little bit at that next week. Let me propose to you what I see here, and that is this. One of the one things that led Elijah, spiritual warfare, he's exhausted. But one of the things that led Elijah to this place of depression was Elijah was exhausted. Elijah was wore out. We could use the term, if you will, burnt out, but Elijah was physically exhausted. He was exhausted. He was physically drained, emotionally drained, and even beyond that, spiritually drained. God set in creation the example of the importance of taking a day of rest. You'll find in the Bible that every seven years they rested the land, they rested the animals, and every 50 years it's called a year of jubilee, there's a year, a day, a year of rest. A time of great rest. Elijah was exhausted. He was wore out. You know that the scriptures in the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments was this, was a day of what? Rest. And they abused this Sabbath and they didn't understand what it was about. And God, Jesus says when he came, he says the Sabbath, he says the Sabbath was for man Not man for the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath so that you would have a day to rest and to recharge. And God did it because He loved you. And our human nature is to keep going and keep working. But He says, Jesus said, Listen, you've missed the whole point of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to be a blessing to you. Look with me in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 32. In Mark 6, 30-32, it was when Jesus sent out His disciples two by two and they went out and they were ministering and serving. And it says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, listen to this, that they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some. Will you say it with me? Rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Jesus here while on earth, he himself and with his disciples, he said to them, you need to come apart before you fall apart. Amen. He says you have been coming and going and they weren't even eating and Jesus takes them and he says, let's get in a boat. We need to go to a solitary place, a quiet place. And you need, he says, you need to get some rest. Because you're being pulled from every direction. Can I tell you... Listen to this statement I'm about to make. You ready for it? You're going to go, ooh. You're going to go, ah. But let, get ready. Write it down. One of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap. Okay, around my house... By the way, I'm typically pretty easy going, pretty fine. I'm upbeat, but... There are two times you don't want to be around me. One, when I'm exhausted and tired. And my wife will say, you need to go take a nap. And we're going to cover the second one in a moment. One of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap. By the way, can I remind you of something? That One of the greatest forms of torture is sleep deprivation. When people go without sleep, people go without rest, the the mind begins to trick you and the mind begins to say things and Elijah is physically exhausted, he's drained and the Lord lets him rest. No sermon was preached, no Bible study was done, none of that yet. Later God speaks to Elijah but he says you need your sleep. God himself commands that we take rest. Missionaries. In fact, we'll have in a couple of weeks a missionary that our church is helping bring back from Africa, Miss Sherry Graham. You saw her testimony a while back. Daughter of, of uh, family in our church. She is a medical missionary. She has to take care of 250 orphans every single day. She's the doctor, the nurse. Beyond that, then she'll go out into other areas where she will minister to 40, 50, 60 people. Give them. Full medical assessment. From morning till night, she's going, going, going. If you have 200, listen, some of us can hardly handle three or four kids. Can you imagine 250 orphans? And you're the sole medical provider for those children. Can you imagine? You know what she needs? We call it, in in, in Christian terms, church terms, a furlough. She needs a break. And so she's going to come back and have some time to be with her family, to just... To be honest, to just rest and to lay around and binge Netflix. Now, I don't know if that's what she's going to do. But to just do nothing and to just let your body recover. Because many a missionary will burn out. It's important. And so many a times we are so busy... We know what acronyms are, right? Well, let me tell you what I believe busy stands for. Ready? Burdened under Satan's yoke. We're so, so busy. And I'm going to be honest. I'm preaching to myself because this is one area where I'm always going, 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 doing, 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 and going here and going there, and family and kids and church and coaching and... You know, you you fill in the blanks and going, going, going. But you know what? Sometimes I have to say, I need to take a few hours or a half a day or a day. And by the way, once in a while a week to just recharge. It's important. We're oftentimes so busy, (laughs) burdened under Satan's yoke. So then one of the most important things you can do is what? Take a rest. One of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap. Amen? And so my wife will say to me, you need to take a nap. But when we go without sleep, again, sleep deprivation. Going without sleep. Day after day. Not getting our proper Rest. It will begin to wear on you. Elijah was physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. Notice the second thing the angel does. Is he feeds him. Gives him some food. Elijah was hangry. Alright. How many of you know that that is a real thing? Here's the second thing. If I'm hungry. Right. If I'm hungry, you better watch out. <laughs> I am not very spiritual when I get hungry. I'm just being honest, you know. I can go a while, but then there's just a point, And it's usually I put it off, put it off. And I'm like with the disciples, I'm just busy. And I'll even say I've been just so busy that I haven't even had time to eat. But by the time I get home, my poor family has to suffer the consequences of me not having food. And I'm getting hangry. By the way, how many of you know someone who gets hangry? You can just don't elbow each other when they're sitting next to you. It's amazing. By the way, teenagers are like this. I remember, you know, especially boys for some reason, they can just consume so much. Teenage boys, it's like Unbelievable. And I I remember my son, you know, and then he he was a wrestler and then he would cut weight and he would be so moody because he's cutting weight and so like uh and it was just like I remember car rides were miserable, you know, and until we'd get to where we're supposed to go or we'd go to a tournament. And then 30 minutes after he weighed in and he's eating, he was like giddy and happy, and I'm like, what is wrong with like just night and day different? There's times my wife and I, if we run to St. George, we'll be down there. And it's usually I'm busy, jump, get home, jump in the car, we'll run down. And I haven't even eaten yet. And I'm just, I'm literally like raging, you know. And then it's, you have St. George traffic and people everywhere. And, and, you know, and I'm using all kinds of Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and Latin. And, I'm and my wife's like, you need, go through a drive through now. Just go through a drive through Five minutes after going through in and out you know, and getting a good burger, and getting some fries, and getting one of those healthy, healthy, high-protein milkshakes, all of a sudden, I'm just like stopping, letting people in front of me. I'm, in, I'm just such a good Christian all of a sudden. Now, we laugh, but here's the thing. Elijah was exhausted, he's tired, he's wore out, he's not eating properly, he's not taking care of his body, and we know as believers that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we should be taking care of our bodies properly, proper nutrition, I could go into all of that, but let me just say this very quickly, because i got to get to the third point, third thought, but this is most people take better care of their truck, their car, their lawn tractor, and sometimes even better care of their dog than they do their own body. <laughs> we'll make sure they get exercised and they get walked, but then oftentimes we don't. We make sure they're fed and they're watered and taken care of. We make sure our car has its maintenance and The tires and the oil changes. And we make sure of all of those things. But oftentimes we run ourselves ragged. And whether we know it or not, it affects us emotionally. It affects us mentally. The last thing I want you to see is this. In verse 3, we kind of read it. It says that Elijah went alone. He isolated himself. This is so important. He isolates himself and he goes out into the wilderness, and he's alone. In fact, in verse chapter 19, verse 10, we'll read this. I want you to notice Elijah, what he says. He says this. He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord. He's talking to God. He says, I've been zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. And the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. He says, listen to what he says. Listen to his, his thinking. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He comes to this point where he's all alone. He isolates himself and he says, I am the only one left. There's no one else. It's just me. It's just me. When you notice God's response in verses 18 through 20. Listen to what God says to him in that same chapter in verses 18 through 20. What does God say? He says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. So was Elijah alone, yes or no? Was he the only one? No. That's what his own mind told him. So Elijah went from there and we're going to see, we'll see this next week, he sends them to Elisha, the son of, of Shaphat. And it talks about how he was out plowing, but he sends him to Elisha. So let me give you the, the, the third Thought that I have for you are truths that oftentimes will lead to discouragement, potentially depression, and that is this isolation. Elijah was physically exhausted, he's wore out. Secondly, he's not getting proper nutrition, he's not taking care of himself, and the Lord makes sure he's fed and rested. And then we see this that Elijah, I called the Elijah syndrome, his own thoughts. I'm the only one. There's no one else. I'm all alone and I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm not trying to hate on him. But it's poor me. Poor, poor me. Poor Elijah. There's no one else. It's only me. And God reminds him, you're not alone, Elijah. There's 7,000 in the nation of Israel who still have not bowed the knee to Baal. And by the way, then what does God do? He says, I'm going to send you to Elisha. And there's a whole lot to this. But he and Elisha become companions and friends. And Elisha becomes an encouragement to Elijah. Elijah becomes encouragement to Elisha. And we see that I believe it's at least 10 years of ministry that Elijah carries on with that companionship. Forms of torture. POWs. Think about this. POWs interrogate uh, people who are interrogating someone, what do they do? Sleep deprivation. Not proper nutrition. You ready? Isolation. Get them alone. What will it do? It will break you down. You know what's sad? Is that many a times, even as Christians, as believers, we put ourselves in all of these positions ourselves. When a person starts to get a little discouraged, what do they do? They immediately isolate themselves. There's a term called, it's a form of punishment, it's called solitary confinement. But it isn't sad that many Christians intentionally put themselves in that position. And let me remind you of something. It's really weird. But our human nature is often designed, for some reason, it's our fallen nature, to do the opposite of what we need the most. How many of you can bear witness to that? We end up doing the opposite of what we most need. And so when we get discouraged, we say, you know what? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just want to be alone. So, you know, it's like that teenager goes to the room and locks himself in the room and they're all alone. And guess what? They're alone there with their own thoughts. And demons. And what happens? We put ourselves in this isolation and we we then say, well, we're all alone and there's no one else. And it's the opposite of what God intended and what God has designed because God has created us to be a part of a community. God's response was, you are not alone. God's response was, I'm going to send someone to you to be a help to you and you're going to be a help to Him. Look what the scripture tells us in Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25. I'm almost done, so just hang on, just a few more minutes. He says, And let us, Paul says, I believe it's Paul, regardless, God says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is what he says not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. He says, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. God says it's important that you are in community, that you're there encouraging one another, helping one another, spurring one another on. You see, oftentimes when we start to get to this point of being discouraged, what we do is we isolate ourselves. We put ourselves, if you will, in solitary confinement. And then the only voice we hear are our own voices... And by the way, I believe the enemy's voices who will tell us lies. Are you with me? You're not good enough. You failed. You're worthless. You're nothing. You're no good. And the enemy would love to even go so far as to say, Your life is worthless. Why are you even here? Be reminded, Jesus said this, that the enemy comes to seek to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life, that you may have it more abundantly. And so, we're left to our own thoughts, and our own lies, and the lies of the enemy, God intended for us to be in community, to be around those who will encourage us and to strengthen us and to refute the lies that the enemy will throw at us. The Bible calls it bearing one another's burdens. God never intended for us to be lone ranger Christians. Amen. He wants us to be in community. It's why the church body is important, brothers and sisters in Christ is important. Obviously, family is important. That's why God established the home, the family. He said to Adam, as Adam was there in the garden alone, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. doesn't mean that every single person has to be married, but what he's saying is, at that time, there were no other human beings on the planet. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And I will say to you, it's not good for man to be alone. There's a series on, is it Netflix called Alone? Which one is it? Netflix or Hulu? Netflix. How many of you have ever seen it? It's called Alone? I think my kids, Sam and my daughter, someone were watching it. I started watching one episode. I got sucked in. And so instead of studying sermons all week, I was just watching. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I started watching Alone. And it's these people, they take them out and, you know, like eight contestants and they put them out and they, you, it's, you survive and stay as long as you can. And it's the physical elements. It was like in Canada, northern Canada. It's cold. It's like 12 degrees. And they can only bring like... 15 items or something like that, you know, and wood, fire and all, all, you know, and they had their little fires, they built their little shelters, they gather, they hunt, all of these things. But what was in common was this, that every single one, and where many of them, they, they call it tapping out, like I'm done, I'm checking out, I can't do this. It was not necessarily just the physical aspect. It was the mental, it was the emotional, and what they said they struggled with the most was being alone and missing the people that they love. The winner received, would receive 500,000, and there was a number that said, "I don't care about 500,000 dollars. I realize I learned something about myself, and that is this: that the money is not important. The people I love are what's important. So one of the most spiritual things you can do is go home and watch alone." so that you never put yourself in that position to be alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12. Ready? Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12. Solomon says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. And he says a quarter, you know, three individuals, three people, three strands are not quickly broken. You take three pieces of twine and you wrap it together and it's much stronger. The idea is this, the importance of community. That God created us to be a part of community. That's why the body is important. The church is important. Small group is important. Brothers and sisters in Christ and building community. I'm not just saying here when we walk through the doors on a Sunday, but as you build community, it is so important. It is so vital. Does everyone understand this? Amen? So your sleep is important. One of the most spiritual things you can do is take a nap. One of the most spiritual things you can do is go to a drive-thru or whatever, you know? Get something to eat. One of the most spiritual things you can do is to not isolate yourself and realize that it's important to have other people to bear each other's burdens. I finished with this one illustration, this one story. When I was pastoring in Missouri, I was just new there, maybe a year into the ministry. A young couple started coming to our church. And they said, You should come meet my my parents and meet. She said, You should meet my mother. They live right next door. They had a piece of property. She said, You should meet them. She goes, but she'll never come to church. She'll never ever come to church. And I said, Well, I'll, I'll be happy to go meet them. She said, they're believers, they're you know, Christians, they believe in God, believe in Jesus, but they don't want anything to do with church. Probably they were hurt in church, I don't know. So I remember one day, it was like a Saturday, beautiful day, it was spring, she's out there planting flowers and taking care of her property, pretty little property there. And uh, her name was, was Pat, and uh, they introduced me, I said, hi Pat, I'm Pastor Joe, in fact, I'm just a pastor, uh, you know, I'm getting to know your family, they're just right down the road, and their church is just right down the road. And I didn't try to pressure, nothing. I just I just came to meet you. If I can ever be a blessing, if I could ever be helping. She said, well, I'll, I'll never go to church. She goes, I believe in God. I believe Jesus is my Savior. And I said, well, that's great. Praise the Lord. She goes, I'll never go to church. She said, this is my church. This is my church. She said, you see these flowers? This is my church. She said, you see those trees? That's my church. You see this? She goes, I'm closer to God here than I've ever been. I said, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. And I was young, 24, 25 years old. And I just kind of blunt. And I I haven't really changed a whole lot. Just say it how it is. I said, that's great. I I do believe that you can be close to God. I said, but let me ask you something. I said, when you're sick and in bed, are those flowers going to bring you a meal? She just looked at me. I said, if you have something terrible happen in your family, are those trees going to bring you food? Are those trees going to help you with your medical bills? Are those trees going to help you? Are they going to be there for you? How much can that plant and tree do for you? Well, well the Pastor never thought about that. I said I believe that you can be close to God and love God, but I'm like, it's not your church. The church is a body, and people. But I said you're always welcome. I know what you're thinking, she probably got so mad and ticked off she'd never show up. Nope. That very Sunday she said, I'm here, Pastor Joe. She started coming. this is gospel. Within a year or so, her coming, her husband starts coming, and they start getting involved and participating. And she said, you know what, I want to I want to be involved. I want to help and I want to help the church. She said, Can I clean the church? At that time, we we're in a building this size. And so we we're in a, it was a building almost identical to this. And so she just came in, volunteered her time, started cleaning. I thought, wow. She came in, now she's part of the body now, she's serving. About six months after that, her husband was out on the road and had some chest pain. He was a long road trucker. He was actually like in Oregon. And he said something was weird. He came home. It was like over Thanksgiving. It was like Thanksgiving time. And he was going to go on the road again. And she said, you're not leaving until you see the doctor. He was stubborn. You're not leaving until you see the doctor. You're not leaving until you... And so finally he said, okay, I'm going to go to the doctor, but I'm getting in the truck after. Went to see their family physician. And the doctor said, literally called the ambulance. He was in cardiac arrest. What they didn't realize and what they had missed is he had a deformed heart. And literally, he was having a massive heart attack. And they took him in. I remember getting the phone call. Myself, one of the assistant pastors, a couple deacons. They said, you probably not. They were very honest, very upfront. They said, you probably will not live through the night. I didn't even know there were such things, but they call them artificial hearts. They hooked him up to what's called an artificial heart. You could sit there. It's not a, like a heart, but it's a machine that was basically his heart. And they hooked him up to an artificial heart they kept him alive they did some major surgery and they said his heart was like the size of like you know like it should be for like a small child it never grew by the way the whole church started praying and we prayed and we anointed with oil and we prayed over him and he made it through the night then they said well we'll try to get you stable over the next few days and over the next few days get you stable then they had to perform some type of surgery then later he had to have a a transplant obviously now this man is completely disabled no way to work and so the church took care of him we brought meals provided meals we went, he was working on his house trying to finish the house, a whole group of men came and we basically built a house finished the house he ended up getting through all of that, and getting semi-healthy, but from that point on, he was disabled. We then built a large building, and she, the church paid her to help them with their finances, paid her to take care of the, the new building and the old building, and we were there for one another. She was a blessing to our church. Our church was a blessing to her, but can I tell you something? When they were in That difficult time, the church, the body was there for them, to pray for them, to encourage them, amen, to bring meals to them, to help financially provide for them, to come and take care of their home and fix their house. You know what she said after these years went by? She said, Pastor Joe, when we were going after most of it, she goes, I am so thankful that you came and told me that those plants won't bring you meals. And that those trees won't visit us in the hospital. And that those trees won't be there when we're going through difficult times. You see, God intends for us to be a part of his body, his community. Amen? And you say, what happened to Elijah? Elijah was exhausted. Elijah was not taking care of himself, eating properly. And here's the other one. He isolated himself and he was alone. And so God provided him community. Amen? And you know what's cool? God restored Elijah. And God uses Elijah for 10 more years to do his kingdom work and to do his work. Let me just say this. We're going to pray. But if you are struggling with discouragement or depression, or you're going through, through something and you're in a battle, whether it's now or in the days to come, please, please listen to me from the bottom of my heart. Please Do not try to carry that burden alone. You don't have to. We are here for you. Amen. I am here for you. Please reach out. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you.